Yep. Meet me Dolan on B Dolan. All right. That's the intro right there. That Woo! was amazing. Yeah, man. Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Mm. Mm. Jonah. Mm. Brad. Mm. That's Steven mm. making that weird noise. What's this chair, man? Because sometimes you, when you move, really it sounds squeaking. like you fart in it. Oh, no, hard. you're just squeaking. We'll Which see. one is the fart chair? Do we have the fart chair in here? Um, I think that's your house where Prob- you try to blame the chair. Oh, God. My house has like, uh, I don't have a sense of smell. So whenever Trish comes, she's like, there's always some smell here. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's like, it's for real. Like I burnt pizza the other day and there was, I lit a candle to cover it up because I knew there was something, but I, I literally have no sense of smell. <laughs> It's it's awful and awesome at the same time. <laughs> I remember one of my f- my very first jobs I ever had here, and like I-, I thought it was horrific that this this bathroom spray. And there was one guy there who would who would go take a dump every day after lunch and then spray this stuff, and it was just the worst. Like it was a combination of shit and and roses, cheap, like roses. <laughs> and I remember one of the, one of the other guys came back and he's like, "What is that stink?" And somebody said, oh, so-and-so went and took a dump, and then he always sprays the air freshener after. And, and the guy's like, what? So so now it doesn't just smell like shit, but it also smells like chemical flowers? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember like going like, okay, okay, I'm right. It was terrible. I feel like every time you guys start talking during an intro, it ends up being about like farts or shit or something. If you let us go, man. <laughs> That's good stuff. Yeah, we like- do a whole podcast about it. <laughs> gastrointestinal stuff it's very common because you have to keep checking in yeah and if it smells weird down there go to the doctor like that's how that shit works yeah get that checked out (laughs) Uh, (laughs) today in the podcast we're joined by b dolan uh rapper activist and awesome dude uh i met b dolan when united nations was on tour and we did a bunch of shows with him and circle takes a square and uh yeah He's awesome. He's on Sage Francis's label, Strange Famous, and he came through when he was on tour with Sage Francis. And uh, I don't mean this in a mean way, but is there a term raptivist? Uh, there should be. That's really good, actually. Uh, I, see, I didn't even mean a pun. I was like, huh. He's raptivist. definitely the first. There's probably not because there's not any raptivists except mm. for Pete Dolan that All I right. know of. Can you even think of anybody close? I don't. I mean, like, I know so little about like hip hop that. I'm sure there are. I just and activism. There's got to be, man. But he's. I mean, he's pretty. He's, he's pretty he's, impressive. He's he's pretty impressive. Uh, I mean, the places that he was talking about that he's been and helped out with. I was. See one of those people that guy, you're like, wow! I do nothing with my life and help no one. I'm gonna go cry. He he definitely puts his money where his mouth is. Dude, like I said, the first the first show we were on, I went up to his merch table and he just had shirts that just said film the police <laughs> and there's a song about that we talk about it a lot but i was like this guy is like he's awesome right on yeah sorry i missed it but glad it happened yes uh so yeah we should let b dolan talk so ladies and gentlemen check out super awesome dude b dolan today i'm going off track we are joined by b dolan yeah. What is up? Ain't nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I just took a uh, a cab ride here that was it got my adrenaline up. Yeah. What was it like? It was good. There was like a it was like gridlock traffic for the first five minutes. I was like, you think I can make it there by three, man? Like just giving him a little challenge. And he was like, we can do, we can do this. And then like as soon as we were out of the gridlock traffic, like he brought. I forgot. I forget sometimes like what New York cabs do. Yeah. And what New York express buses do. I, I lived here for a while. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I worked as a doorman on Park Avenue. <laughs> I would get really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, like for a, for somebody's apartment. Yeah, for like a really, really rich apartment. Like, it was, did you wear a, an outfit? Yeah, I had to wear an outfit. I had to shave. I had to like. <laughs> it was like I I came here. <laughs> Why did you look down at your chest when you said I had to shave? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a deep, it was deep shame. <laughs> Still lives inside me that it had to happen. But I I grew up in Rhode Island and and. I started listening to hip hop and I was 18 and all I knew is like all my favorite rappers came from New York. So I just, as soon as I could leave my parents' house, I just got to New York and then was broke in New York for a long time. And, and, but I started, started performing here and was trying to like work out the like middle-class existence and independent DIY artist hustle at the same time. Uh, and part of that, uh, one of the failed experiments was working as a doorman on, on at 812 Park Avenue. Uh, 
And yeah, man, I would I would get out at 11 p.m. and take the the Liberty Express bus back to the Bronx. And those dudes on their last shift of the night, like this bleary eyed driver would just open like, you know, like this is his last run of the night. Like he's and he, you know, just doing like 90 on these like big giant like accordion buses up the Henry Hudson. Um, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, that's it was wild. A, yeah, it was a fun time. Did you have any crazy doorman stories? Like what was the weirdest thing like a tenant asked you to do? Well, I was working there on September 11th and... It was actually, as it worked out, it was just a few miles from uh, the World Trade Center. So that, like, smell was everywhere in the city, that, like, really chemical, acrid smell that was, like, in your mouth, kind of. And um, and we went to, and, you know, immediately after, it was this big push for, like, everybody go back to work, everybody go shopping, everybody, you know. And uh, so <laughs> we went back to work, and it it mostly involves just sitting in this foyer, and waiting for millionaires to come and, you know, take them upstairs or carry their bags. And then every weekend they go to their, this place was crazy. It was like every, every apartment was 10 million to purchase and then 7,000 a month maintenance fees. And nobody owned just one floor. Most of them owned two floors and it was nobody's only house. They would all leave and go to houses in the Hamptons on the weekend um, and their maids would like bring their, their baggage down to the elevator and then we'd take their baggage out to the car. And, uh, and so what was the cross street? Where was this? What neighborhood? Uh, geez. Like um, lower park park. Uh, like, no, I mean the central park was right. Like, oh, so you were up. Yeah. You were, yeah, yeah. you were in the up, shit. Upper, man. Up, <laughs> upper <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. Like a pizza was like $80. Like yeah. everything in the neighborhood was inflated. It's like a whole other I'm, weird I'm listening. You guys have no reference points for any of the places you're talking about. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think I've ever been there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would be allowed to. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird little area over there. But, um, and yeah, this dude, Mr. Cashman, <laughs> I, I didn't make that name up. Um, he, he like, he, I remember him coming in to the lobby and being like, it smells in here. And, and us just being like, yeah, you know, it's, it's the World Trade Center, man. And he's like, open the windows. And we're like, it's the, the, the smell is outside. <laughs> he's like, we got to get some air in here. Open the windows. So he made us open the windows. And then we just sat in that for the rest of the afternoon. And then he comes down and like his maid hadn't brought the bags down. And, uh, and he's like, has, has Gloria brought the bags down? I was like, uh, no, not yet, sir. He says, we have to get back to normal. Oh, <laughs> shit. I just stormed out. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was, yeah, that was one one of many. But that's a good line. <laughs> yeah, they were they were funny, man. They were like, I think the the west side, the upper west side has like the new money, and the upper east side has like the old money. Yeah. And, like, the doorman hustle is, like, you want to work on the west side because new money is, like, tipping all yeah. over the place. And But old money has no concept of what money even is. No. So, like, I'm constantly, you know, I'd be taking pizza men down in the service elevator and they'd just be, like, cursing, like, furious, <laughs> like, looking at, like, a $2 tip. Like, yeah. what do the, these people think, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's it was so a trip, true, man. man. It was crazy. It was, uh, but... At the same time, there were, like, really high rates among those people. Like, some of the most unhappy, miserable people I've ever met in my whole life. Like, really. And I, I knew a, a woman who was working for the UN. She was working on women's rights in, in uh, uh, Kenya. And she had a, a friend who was doing a thesis, and she was telling me about it. And she was just talking about the parallels <laughs> from a women's rights perspective. The, uh, they were talking about the, the wives of these, like, billionaires whose who who have elevated rates of suicide and depression and abuse um of of substance abuse rather uh because like their lives just have no meaning their their job is to personify their husband's wealth like they're you know like you just see him come in and out every day with a new bag from Saks Fifth Avenue and a new it's like about whatever party they're going to tonight and and that stuff but they have no concept of money they've never worked they've never felt like the the self-worth that comes from right. like earning your keep and stuff like they're wow. they're not doing that well either you know like emotionally in their right. lives like they're not well, yeah they're in know. <laughs> yeah it's i remember when i was a little kid and we're pretty young that uh i remember thinking like i'm really glad that i wasn't born rich because if i ever do get rich i'll appreciate it yeah you know like yeah. 
but I'm still working on it. Yeah, <laughs> there were a few, there thinking, were a few like, cool people. Even in that then, building. I could understand that, like, if you're born into that world, there's not really anywhere to go but down. You know? Yeah, right. And so, yeah, yeah there, there were a couple, the, and and like it, you'd find it out eventually. Like the, the the people that were decent to you and that were nice and like like acted like humans to you for the ten minutes they were in the elevator with you, you'd eventually find out like, oh, that dude made his own money. Right. Like they were always <laughs> the people that made their own and come from nothing and you know. Yeah. Um, those people still had like perspective, but there was this like little rich kid named Paxton who lived on the twelfth floor. Who used to there was like this <laughs> courtyard, and he used to just throw food out of his window just to watch us pick it up, like <laughs> Paxton. Paxton, man, he's like a villain. Like everybody was like a cliche, like a silly, you know, like it was like a movie. Yeah, he's for sure a banker now. He's <laughs> yeah, gotta definitely. Be. He's gotta be. Were you rapping at, while you were doing this job? Yeah, I was. Uh, I was performing. I I was uh, part of the time. I was homeless while I was doing that job. No I was way. like sleeping on people's couches and then cleaning up and like going to work and then leaving work at eleven p.m. Smoking weed in like phone booths and then getting on the express bus. That probably increased the terror of the express buses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in sure. retrospect, yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was uh I was trying to make it happen. I was performing at the New Eurekan Poets Cafe. That's where I like kind of okay. first stepped on stage. Um and mostly involved in like slam at that time. And uh and the uh, I didn't know how anything worked. Like I I was performing down there and they were filming the pilots for Deaf Poetry Jam. So somebody came up to me with a card that said, and they were like, Def Jam, and they, you know, we want to invite you to perform at this private arts gallery. And Russell Simmons was there, and they were like taping it. But I'm like 18 and in New York City, and I don't know what the heck. Can you swear on this podcast? Yes. Absolutely. Right, I don't know what the fuck Please is going do. on. You know, like I'm in this room with like all these like coked up industry people, and I just like, you know, I was, I was overwhelmed. And I, that was the point at which I kind of realized um, I, I can't, like, I'm not going to. It's not going to work out. Like, I, I didn't know how anything worked. I thought you just go and you perform and then someone discovers you and that's how you have a career in music. So that was the point at which I, like, saw the music industry and I was like, I don't have, I'm not equipped for this stuff. I just want to make music. <laughs> like, I don't want to, like, you know, I don't want to talk. I don't want to anything. I don't want to be told what I have to do or what it has to sound like or or any of that. So uh, that was the point at which I, I spent my first m month's rent money on a drum machine and and got a laptop eventually and started learning how to track my own vocals and produce my own beats. And, um, and then, and then I progressed and then I met other people who were more talented than me and started working with other people. But that I could, that was kind of how I came to the DIY thing. Like I, I was a fan of hip hop, so I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really into punk rock or around it when it pre 18. So I didn't know what DIY was. I just kind of encountered the industry and was like, this isn't going to work. Like I can't, I can't just wait for people to send me beat. You know, you're just meeting people who are giving you cards and everybody says they can do something for you and most of them are full of shit. And, right. Um, so I just, you know, it was just out of necessity and like wanting to take it into my own hands and, and make stuff. That's so cool. Because, it, yeah, it seems like you really are in both those worlds. Because we met Beetle and Tortoise United Nations and Circle Takes a Square. Yeah. Which it was is a like a great tour, man. It was so awesome. It was so fun. But it was so cool. I never had really been on a tour where it's like two super heavy bands and then a rapper in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like that would be like a really intimidating spot for you too. Yeah, it was a little intimidating. But I mean later on, once I eventually I left New York and I I moved back to Providence and that was when I kinda got involved in the scene there. And Providence is a is a really kind of unique city, because uh, it's a small city, but the the is there's a dense number of people that are doing great stuff there um there's a whole like warehouse district in oneyville um where there was a like a legendary uh underground spot called fort thunder that a lot of bands like um lightning bolt and white mice and um chinese stars and um you know just like a long history there of like noise and experimental stuff and um and then there was also a hip-hop scene and it's such a small city that all the same kids like you've got friends that are going to take you to the hardcore show and you're they're going to come with you to the hip hop show. So it kind of is it's a city where everything just kind of crosses over really easily. So I'd been around hardcore, you know, since that time. Um and a fan of it and I felt I I even feel like when it when it was time for me to like make hip hop and I that I felt like really represented me, I felt like my my rap music is aggressive, bombastic shit because 
I'm from Providence. Like, and it, I wanted my my rap to sound more like Providence than other rap, which which means like it fits in better with hardcore because that's part of my experience of like great shows and and music that moved me um, while I was, you know, that time when you're like, just, it's all like you're in the primordial ooze <laughs> before, totally, before totally. you like crawl up out of it, you know? So it was formative. I was formed by elements of hardcore, I guess is what I'm saying. So it, it didn't feel that strange to me. I did, I did go into that tour though, thinking like there's about a 50% chance that like either half the audience will walk out on me uh, like a couple songs into my set or like I was ready for that. Yeah, yeah. And possibly even like, you know, maybe they'll throw shit at me. Maybe I'll have to like, but I was like, I was, I wanted that. That's fun sometimes. <laughs> a little tension. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, man, that is true. Well, it seems like also, you know, like obviously you work with Sage a lot. Like, you yeah. know, he was on Epitaph, which yeah. was mostly a punk label. Like yeah. it seems like. Sage has much more of like a punk background than I do. Like yeah. He, yeah, he was ahead from from back in the day, I guess. But yeah. I'm still like I'm playing catch up with all that shit. I'm playing catch up with everything, everywhere. Yeah, tell yeah. me about it, man. <laughs> yeah. And I remember on that tour you had this shirt that said "Film the Police." Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was really. What, can you describe well, it? What did? Well, that's a song of ours. That's, that's a song. Uh, okay. Yeah, we um, we uh, a friend of mine, Madge of Honor, who's actually tour managing on this tour with us. She was in really involved with Cop Watch in Boston. And uh, the Oscar Grant shooting happened in San Francisco. Um, and when that happened, uh, unarmed man was shot by the uh, BART Transit Police in San Francisco. And it happened in a subway station and all these people had their cell phones out and videotaped it. And a big important part of the reason that there was this huge public backlash and Oscar Grant, you know, just became this rallying point for people that were fed up with cops in San Francisco and Oakland Um and, it, you know, even when Occupy uh, Oakland jumped off, like they they renamed the park they were in Oscar Grant Park. And um, and it, it became like this flashpoint. And it ha- and that happened because so many people videotaped it. And me and Madge were talking about that. And she was talking about cop watch. And, and she just kind of like passingly said, well, you should remake Fuck the Police and call it Film the Police. And, or like just make a song about filming cops and your rights about filming cops. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, I just might do that. And I did. And it um, and it just happened that by the time that song was done, the Occupy stuff was starting to jump off. And the nightly news was carrying all this footage of white kids getting, you know, maced and beat up by cops in, in the park. And it just hit at the right time. And it kind of blew up. And, you know, like Michael Moore tweeted it and a bunch of celebrities tweeted it. And it's still my most popular video on YouTube. And and I'm happy about that. Like I, I, I try not to make like bumper sticker rap, and I try not. I, I get turned off by, like I think it's very easy to make generalized political statements that everybody feels good agreeing with, and it's it's just kind of um, spectacle. Like right. all right, we come here, we say fuck George Bush, and then we go back to our fucking jobs. But um, you said to all people who agree with you, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I, uh, right, exactly. Like you just preach to the choir, and everybody nods their heads, and we leave feeling like we did something. Totally, but, you know. Um, but I like the idea of of making practical, uh, practical political art. Like, here's something you can do right now, immediately. That like is not might not fix everything, but it's a tool. It, here's a, it, you know, and the phrase "film the police." It's a hashtag. Um, and I see people using it that have never heard the song, and like I'm pumped about that. <laughs> like you know, if I can contribute a phrase, like that's that's great. That's awesome. So, yeah. can, I guess specifically, can you film the police? Because I feel like I still see videos now where cops are like, "You have to turn that off" or something. Well, if I mean, if the cop is trained right, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, it, you can legally. The the Supreme Court has said that you can legally. Okay. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to like deal with like aggro knucklehead cops that are just going to intimidate and and harass you. Um, but yeah, as long as you're not interfering with what's going on, so okay. you know, stand a safe distance away type thing. Um, yeah, you're within, especially in a public place. And and cop watch um, was was really cool because they trained people in uh, impoverished neighborhoods or or neighborhoods where the cops routinely fuck with people. They trained everyone in the neighborhood to you know they just went to door to door and were like keep a video camera in your window aimed at the street and when it's going down on the street like just just film them from your window anything that's happening in the public 
place you can film it and so over time the cops begin to know that anytime we're doing stuff in this neighborhood we're on camera and the, everybody's watching us around us um which is you know i mean it's a tool like, like i said like it's not uh, <laughs> maybe the ultimate solution or you know maybe maybe the ultimate i, I it's where things you are know? going anyways man yeah everything, man everything's everyone can see everything it's yes full transparency that's true as well. yeah totally man yeah just be naked <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean i've i've watched over the past over the course of my adult life that police become increasingly militarized since september 11th really that was the, yeah you know that was all this money got poured into the even in new york well i i went to my first protest in new york uh when i was living here they, they were protesting the amadou diallo shooting um where an unarmed man was shot 41 times by the NYPD. And it was like the same year that Abner Louima um, was abducted by a, a group of NYPD cops and taken to a warehouse and raped with a broom handle. And okay. like the, the cops were just whiling under Giuliani and he was letting them, you know, everybody was getting off with like slaps on the wrist. And, um, and so people were furious and there was this, you know, big protest and, and the cops were shoulder to shoulder along the entire route and, and people were screaming in their faces, calling them pigs, and and these dudes were were trained to to, the, to their credit. I watched a lot of NYPD officers take that to their face and not react. And then September 11th happened, and then I was at a, a protest uh, against the, the RNC when George Bush came here for his reelection bid. He wanted to like come to New York to remind everybody about September 11th, and and New Yorkers weren't really having it. And I, it was just a totally different police force post 9-11. Like all these young kids, have, it, it was hip and cool to be a cop or a firefighter after 9-11. So there was a huge recruitment drive. Plus there's all this money. And you had like cops that were, I watched cops like almost start a riot just by the haphazard, chaotic way they were trying to rope off streets and stuff. Like they just caused about 500 people to start running down, you know, an avenue um in every direction you know it's just chaos so and and that's i've seen that like countrywide like st paul minnesota taking out million dollar insurance policies ahead of their rnc um because they were just like we're going to break the law and violate people's civil rights and we're going to take out an insurance policy against all the lawsuits that are going to happen or or kicking in people's doors and arresting people preemptively right. if you'd been arrested at a previous protest they kicked they were breaking in and arresting people just to dis just to disrupt uh in the days before yeah prior to yeah they never set foot in the streets I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Arrested journalists. They arrested Amy Goodman from Democracy Now! at that RNC in, in St. Paul. And I, and I was there. I performed there. It was a big concert with Rage Against the Machine and, and a bunch of other people. And, um, and you know, these, this is St. Paul, Minnesota. These kids are like Minnesota nice. They're like making peace symbols with flowers on the lawn, you know. And there's snipers on the rooftops. Like, it was craziness. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, yeah man. Like futuristic weapons and they're, they're wiling out. <laughs> So, and I feel like nine eleven. The other thing, I mean, it changed everything, obviously. But I was just watching Home Alone two, yeah, which is like a very weird <laughs> yeah. kind of segue. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but they're like, you know, they're going to the airport because they're going on this vacation. And they forget Kevin at home, whatever. But uh, it's like they're not like, Ugh, what's we... it about again? <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys know the plot. Home Alone, Home Alone two, uh, but. Like going to the airport is like no big deal. It's not like it, yeah. like it's not. They're not like oh, we have to go to the airport. Like yeah. <laughs> I mean, doing anything with a bunch of kids seems like it would suck anyways. <laughs> but like I feel like it really changed. Like now it's like like yeah. the TSA and all that stuff. Like it is just the worst, man. <laughs> yeah, it's um. That, there's actually a song about that on my upcoming album. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there, there's a there's a industry there's a security industry concept called safety theater. Um, that I just like kind of inspired me. I was like, wow, that's that's some crazy shit. Um. The idea that like when you go to the airport, you show your ID three times by the time, you know, you show it to the ticket agent, then you get to the guy at the front of the line, he looks at it again, then you get to the other guy. And only one of those people is checking your name against the no-fly list. The other two are just there to make you feel like you're being checked. Well, yeah. To, to create a sense of security <clears throat> in the innocent and to create a sense of like vigilance in the guilty, uh, hypothetically. But like it's, it's theater. 
Like right. you're experiencing theater when you go through that process. Uh, because the reality is, like, if some shit's going to happen, some sh- Yeah, they're you know. not going to catch it. <laughs> yeah. They've never caught anyone. Yeah. The <laughs> They've literally never caught I anyone. In, they have this new thing. It's like getting a hall pass. If you, you basically, you, you, you take your, your, you're in line to come back into the country and you scan your passport and it takes some of that information and then it takes a picture of you right there and it makes this little pass that you then exactly show to, like, two or three other people and then the last <laughs> one takes it and you're like... Like why the fuck would you need <laughs> yeah, to do that? Yeah. They all they all get to see your passport anyway and your face. Yeah. So it's like it's exactly what you're saying. It's they all the information's there. All they're doing is is putting you through one more step of like you're watching. Yeah. Dude, if you okay, read man, it, you're watching. Like I, I can it. see they maybe yeah. fucking take a, a thumbprint scan or yeah. something, you know, yeah. like I'll take your shoes off. It's all Dude, if if you research the TSA, it's so crazy, man. It's like the guy who runs it and sells the X-ray machines, and they change them every oh, yeah. couple of years, and they yeah. buy it from him. I mean, right, it's right. like yeah, it's, it's huge so it's yeah, it's so transparent. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like any excuse just to rant about the TSA. F the TSA, right? Film the TSA. <laughs> yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah, I don't know if you can do that. I don't think you can. <laughs> well, actually, I know you can because we were, we made this song. And we were talking. We were talking about the video, and we were like looking into filming in airports. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty. It's, it's not pretty really, hard. It's not really happening. Um, <laughs> I had a pretty good hip hop joke the other day. Oh, yeah. you might have seen it. We're friends on Twitter. What was the? Hip-hop I thought joke? that would give me some some cred. <clears throat> uh, so you heard uh, Beats got sold to Apple. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, sorry. Should I? Yeah. No, right. Is that it? Am I is not doing my part? No, no, no. Listen, you sound as excited as you should be. <laughs> yeah. It was fun time. It was. Uh, I heard Dre's new single is going to be nothing but a 5G thing. Hey yo. <laughs> <laughs> I got no response, <laughs> and I was like, nailed it. I was like, John, like I was like, good night. I'm going to bed. Like that's it. <laughs> Yeah, those headphones suck. Yeah, I've never used them actually. You don't yeah, like them? I've heard them. I just someone They're let me listen dreadful, to them. They're dreadful, dude. Yeah. They're really? I've got, I, I have four new pair right in that on the other side of that wall that we don't do anything with because Dr. Dre wins they're terrible. They're fucking active. They have active noise cancellation in them, so you can't even use them without batteries. Oh Jesus! And then yeah, and then like, do they actually noise cancel? It uses it uses um, phase cancellation, which is like oh. an, an active. You know, I, I won't get into it. I, I, I will get, get into, into it, it man. It, it basically they have little microphones, and it and the microphones sample the exterior noise and then flip does, the phase on it, right, and then crazy. pump it back into the signal. Yeah, it kind of works for certain frequencies, but like for people like me who have sensitive hearing, it fucking or maybe anybody, it makes me crazy. It gives me like headaches because I can hear like if there's no signal coming through, I hear like it just it feels like feels like there's like pressure on my ears. Hmm. It's just it's because it's this out of phase thing that it's doing to like certain frequencies. MK Ultra, man. <laughs> How did they get so popular? And they sound like shit too. Just because it's Dre. They're just marketed. Yeah, 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 just they they come in lots of different colors, I guess. But I feel like and Doctor Dre and money and stuff. Apple earbuds, I think they can't. Those things are the worst too. Those are terrible. Like also. it's. I heard this quote from Trent Reznor. I feel like I mentioned it before. Where he was like, "People will spend so much money on TVs and like check out the craziest color components." He's like, and then like. They'll listen to their music on these <laughs> shitty fucking yeah. Apple headphones that sound like shit and not ever think twice about it. Yeah. yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. I heard someone someone said something that like they it, Apple acquired that because of a streaming um there there's some streaming component to beats. There's like I heard oh. I heard speculation that it wasn't about the headphones, it was actually about oh. they wanted the streaming component so they could uh compete with Spotify. Yeah, maybe. the company's got a they yeah, that's right. They started like Slug a, said that. I don't interesting. Want to just rip off his theory. And they want to keep it as a separate company because they don't want it to compete with iTunes. So it may stay oh, as like Beats Music, but they'll just own it. Uh. Dude, you know what's crazy about Slug? I met him when I was working on Warp Tour about 10 years ago, and his merch guy was P.O.S., Steph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. so crazy that that's he's how, like... That's how we get in the game. I was Sage's merch guy in 2005. Really? Yeah. That's so incredible. <laughs> I remember him being like, I'm a rapper too. I was like, oh, cool. And like one day he got to perform, was yeah. so excited. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's the those are the homies, the the Rhyme Series homies from Minneapolis. We're gonna be out there in like a week, I think. Oh, nice! 
Looking forward to seeing all those guys. So how did you hook up with Sage? You see? I met Sage when I when I was leaving New York. I talked to Bob Holman at the New Yorkian Poets Cafe, and I was like, I'm going to Providence. And he was like, go find Sage Francis. He's the only poet in Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right. And it was after September 11th, and that was the beginning of me wanting to get involved in some kind of like social justice work. Because I... I I guess in a lot of ways it kind of like radicalized me experiencing that and, and living through that. And it kind of, I had been reading, you know, about things like the CIA and, you know, you know I, I listened to Public Enemy and, and uh, Rage Against the Machine and stuff. Rage Against the Machine, I remember they had like that Evil Empire album. And when you opened it, there was like this just picture of a pile of books. Um, and I read and found like a bunch of those books and that was kind of like my early political education and stuff and then like public enemy songs and stuff. And so, but these things were like abstract concepts to me. Like I, I understood my experience growing up in like broke white trash, New England, you know, but like, uh, actually seeing like worldwide conflict happen in the city where I was living was like really you know, really shook me up. And so I was trying to just do something. And, um, and I had this idea that I was going to go into high schools and perform. And then we were going to, because that was what I did. Like I, I, you know, I wasn't, (laughs) I wasn't really suited for anything else. So I, I, for a couple of years, uh, we had a program called open the mics where we would go into high schools, perform, and then work with students and teachers to create like a club within the school that would just become like a little haven for like creative kids to come, be with someone who wasn't who was like them you know like just a little space where you could like read the poem you wrote or play the song you wrote or just do your thing and and be a weirdo like just collect the weirdos you know and because when i saw the september 11th when i saw it going down i for some reason the way i immediately interpret it was like on a human level of like what does it take to to hijack a plane fly it into a building and kill yourself and all these other people in the name of religion and then i am and then i thought about you know i saw the war starting and i thought about all the american troops that were going to go over and do basically the same thing in in afghanistan um and i was and i just interpreted it or what it's what struck me about it was that people on both sides just had no value of themselves and had no you know you you've got to really not think much of yourself if you're willing to just become someone else's weapon or just like a bullet in someone else's gun um and so that was what i wanted to do i wanted to like get kids at a formative age and just like let them know that like you have value these things you're thinking are are worth something and and so that's what i was doing and i i contacted sage via email and i told him about this idea and he was like don't take me into high schools man i uh, you know, he just he, he punked me off basically. He was like, "If you bring me to a high school, I'm just gonna like swear and insult the teachers and do all the stuff I wanted to do in high school." So he punked me off, and I was like, "Oh man, like this dude thinks I'm full of shit. I gotta go, like, I gotta go perform wherever he performs and and show him that I'm not just some random dude. Like, I actually, you know, have some talent. <laughs> like, right. I never, you know, whatever." So that's how I met him. Was like immediately confrontational. <laughs> me walking into the the Providence Poetry Slam at the time with a chip on my shoulder, and um. And yeah, so, and we, you know, we were on the same Slam team uh, for a year or two, and that's how we met. And then we both left Slam and kind of, <laughs> you know, weren't into that scene anymore. And, we, and then we created a website in 2005 called uh, nomore.org. Um, and, and working together on that and him expressing interest in albums I was releasing and, and putting me out on his label, Strange Famous Records. And, um, and that was, and over time we became friends, good friends. He's my best friend. He's the best man at my wedding. and he did a song with you in boston on that tour yeah yeah he he came up and uh, we did too bad yeah yeah we're we're on tour right now we played new jersey last night yeah we're here tonight and we're going around the country in support of his new album and uh there's no hardcore bands on the tour no hardcore bands (laughs) on this one just rappers (laughs) but i want to go i want to tour with hardcore bands again that was mad fun yeah (laughs) yeah yeah man we're going back down to fest i had a blast on that tour man yeah yeah, it was really a lot of fun for me because, like, when when it's all, I imagine it's kind of the same in hardcore when it's when it's all your genre on the bill, the the like cliches of the genre can can become really tiresome and like the like you know how to make a hardcore audience respond, and they they expect a certain set of things from you and you give it to them and that's a good show. But like when you're doing that 
over a hundred times a year, it can, you get a little jaded, you know, like one show just becomes like, just like the next show. I, I'm not speaking for you in terms of hardcore. I'm, I'm telling you what my experience is in hip hop. Like I say, put your hands in the air. You put your hands in the air. I say, ho, you say ho. And you know, like we've all had fun, but like, uh, but you know, like, it loses the edge. It doesn't feel like it felt when I was 18 and I didn't know if everyone was going to hate me. Right. And, and it gets a better performance out of you when you feel that way in regard to the audience, when you feel like you have to prove something to them. Um, so for me, that, that was like, uh, aside from being on the road with great people, there were a lot of great people on that tour. Yeah, we made a lot sure. of friends on that tour. Your band were the nicest guys too. They were <laughs> yeah, such yeah, sick yeah. musicians. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was Adam Schneider on guitar and Dan the German on uh, the Moog Voyager and a bunch of other electronics and uh, Brad Caetano on drums. Yeah, that was a good, good setup, man. We'll do it again. I'm, I, I'm gone home and, and finished an album uh, that will come out next year, uh, in the spring of next year. And, wh- and when it's that time, then I'll, I'll try and hit the road with a, a full band again and, and headline. That's sick. Yeah. So what else, like, what other kind of causes have you been sort of interested in lately? Have you been writing about or just have been on your mind? Oh, jeez. Uh, I just wrote a song about Rick Ross. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, um, so the dude, you know, Rick Ross adapted his name from, from Freeway real, Rick Ross. Right. Yeah. And Freeway Rick Ross kind of has a crazy story because for years I've heard people talk about Iran Contra, but I never really understood what the hell that was exactly it was a bit before my time and and uh i was looking into the who freeway rick ross was and i realized that he he was part of that he was he was basically a front for that and that the the real rick ross is a dude that was a small-time drug dealer in la um that suddenly got introduced to this Nicaraguan connect that got him all this incredibly cheap cocaine uh, and allowed him to undercut all the other dealers. And all, all of a sudden he was like this kingpin dude. And the streets, you know, like just remember the name like Rick Ross. Rick Ross was the dude, man. Uh, but Rick Ross was a, a, a patsy, really. Like he was, uh, he was someone that the, <laughs> the CIA used to funnel cocaine into uh, poor neighborhoods. And, and in exchange, that money went to the Contras who were fighting a war that the U.S. Congress had forbidden uh, the U.S. to fund. Um, so they said, like, you know, uh, the Congress had said, we're not funding this war. The CIA still wanted to fund it. So this was how they went about doing it. It was like, what do you have? You have cocaine. Well, we can get you money for that cocaine. Um, and later, then drugs, uh, uh, then guns, rather came into the mix and they were selling like bazookas to Crips in South Central. Um, so it, it was this really, really crazy. Uh, so I, I've just been reading about that and it, and it's kind of ill because it's like the same story. It's, it's, it's crazy from the perspective of freeway Rick Ross. Like you're a small time drug dealer, you're broke. Someone comes to you and says like, here's how you can get all the money in the whole world. And you, you buy into that bullshit and you go for the ride, and then when they don't need you anymore, you take the fall, you go to jail for 13 years, and you sit in a cell and rot, and then you come out, and there's a guy named Rick Ross <laughs> on the radio selling that same bullshit fantasy that got you locked up, and and you can't do anything about it. He went to court to try and, like, get his name back from the dude, and they were like, you know, that it was, fun, you know, Rick Ross, the rapper, gets away with it as, like, a tribute or something. Um, but the real Rick Ross regrets what he did wants to like make it up to the communities that he, he fucked over and and try and get right with himself i imagine and like to you know, it's a i mean even outside of politics it's just an incredible story about identity or oh, totally uh, like a, a trap that that we keep falling into <laughs> i've listened to some podcasts rick ross has been on free rick ross on joe rogan's podcast a oh, couple yeah. times and right his stories are just like it's so crazy man yeah yeah i mean what do you think so i'm wearing this shirt in carta which yeah, is yeah, yeah. my friend's company who you, yep. you know about and uh it's sort of about it says two point over pop 2.2 million which i think how many people are incarcerated and you know he had a kind of an issue with mandatory minimums and there's all yep. these crazy rules i mean what do you think 
sort of speaking of prison, which we were kind of talking about with Rick Ross, like, what do you think is maybe the answer? Do you think the problem is that prisons are privatized and they're for profit? Doesn't help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, anytime you're like incentivizing the judicial system to lock more people up. And it, it, it's also crazy to think that the United, that it was that callous, you know, that Iran Contra is something that hip hop talks about a lot. Like it, it comes up a lot, but, um, and when, when you look at what it what it really means is like top officials in our government made a very conscious decision to destroy black neighborhoods and black and brown neighborhoods and and just that that, that they were just gonna <laughs> you know it's like that line in the godfather you know they're animals so let them kill themselves like it's ill to realize that like that attitude exists at the highest levels um and that people are just being treated like units um and lives are, are being ruined, you know, I, I mean, like, if you've ever seen how crack affects a person or that person's family or that person's neighborhood or, you know, um, you know, it's real, real shit, but like, they don't care about that. Um, and so these policies are like in place that, that just <laughs> subject you to that. And that's why I take issue with like rappers selling this fantasy of like, you know, sell drugs, get rich, be like me. Right. Like, nah, that's not usually how it works out. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But yeah, that does seem like it can be also glamorized, I guess. Yeah. It's part of it. It's like as much as the, you know, the fact that as much as manufacturing is a part of it. Because once you're in prison, they got you like manufacturing Victoria's Secret clothes. Right. uh, at, At cheaper than they can, they can pay a free person. At one one crazy thing in New York, I, I remember from years ago that they were doing was um, they had cut the funding to community college in in New York. So community college prices were tuition was going to go up, and uh, with that budgetary money, they were building a new prison in Albany. And the effect of that is like obviously, you know, you can't go to college; you're more likely to have to turn to crime. Um, but and then you get locked up, and you go to Albany. And prisons, uh, the way it works with prisons apparently is they you're counted as population, uh, but you can't vote. So Albany, which was at the time uh, predominantly white and upper class, um, gets more representation in the New York House of Representatives because their population has gone up, but they've added no new voters. Uh, you know, it's like, wild. It's crazy, you know, like the intricacy of the schemes, you know, and the... It's, uh, it's an elaborate system, for sure. But what do you think that, that drive comes from? Do you think people are just scared of losing what they have, or they're just paranoid or threatened? I mean... Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I guess it's like... Capitalism? Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say it. I mean, I, you know... I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what we're dealing with. Yeah. And I'm not... I don't have the answers, you know. I'm not here to say like socialism all the way i don't even know how practically that well, it's not, looks or <clears throat> happens i don't think capitalism is meant to be so parasitic like it's not capitalism that i would you know that's what everybody free market blah 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 right free market doesn't mean that you destroy your country for the next 200 years true, do you know what true. i mean yep. like i don't think it's a really i think that's a poor excuse for yeah it's well, just a bunch of fucking well parasitic evil motherfuckers yeah yeah well i say i you're right i say capitalism but it's like um, this our modern american capitalism specifically like there there's a really great um documentary called the century of the self that um that talks about um bernays who was uh related to freud um there there was a there was a fear at one time that americans were just going to have everything they needed and the stock market, uh, the 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 economy would collapse. Like we'd have all the clothes we need, we'd have all the cars we need, <laughs> and then like people aren't going to buy shit anymore. Like you've got everything you need. Um, and so the solution to that was when uh, the moment that psychology was introduced into our commercial system, and you know the idea, the person who introduced the idea that like don't sell them a car, sell them being a better father. And with this car, you'll be a better father. With this trip to Disney World, you'll be a tighter family unit. With this, uh, you know, sneaker, you'll find girls. With this, you know, right. um, and and that and the 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 effect of us being marketed to from the minute we're born. Uh, this is a, a fairly new thing, you know, in, right. in American history, and that. Uh, the, the generations that grew up like that then fell in love with Ronald Reagan, 
who was and Margaret Thatcher who were pushing this like this individualism, this this kind of like immediate gratification government system of like you don't want to pay taxes, you don't have to pay taxes. Well, you know, like keep your money. You know, right. like, all this very like feel good me centric stuff. Um, and I even see it in terms of people. What we were talking about with like we all feel good, we preach to the choir, and we leave. Like kids want to be consumers of revolution even like they, right. they want to like buy our CD and now you've bought revolution. Well, not, that's not really how that works. But like <laughs> if you try and get them to like put in hours of volunteering, that's some whole other shit. Like they don't want to do that. They, they want to like wear the t-shirt, right? Uh, you know? Um, and, and how that affects us. So we are like a very self-centered, you know, self-centered version of capitalism for sure. And, right. and that, maybe more than capitalism as an abstract economic system is has to do with the decisions we've made and the point we've come to. Yeah, I'm not an economist, but I just can't yeah, believe that. I'm a rapper. I don't know what I can't I believe that there's a definition of capitalism that it's so um, destructive to its host. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, I've seen companies that, that, that are, because you're right, like, if if you're... If you're really looking out for yourself, then you need to look out for yourself today and also next year. Right. And and companies that, you know, treat their workers better and and get better work out of them. Like it's it's good capitalism to be ethical many times. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just yeah, you have to have a bigger picture, I guess, kind of yeah. view, and that's hard when you have stockholders yeah. and people Right. And a constant pressure to show a profit ahead of yeah. your competitor. I have a constant pressure on myself to show a profit. <laughs> and it's not happening through this podcast. But, uh, respect, but you're becoming yeah. a better person. But I'm becoming a better person by talking to you guys, I think. Absolutely. Which is an investment in myself. And I'm learning a lot. Today. Yes. Actually, I'm learning once again how little I actually know. Yes, it's true. It's kind of what we do here every week. <laughs> it's true. So, so you're, you're working on a new album now? Yeah. I, I uh, am just... Putting the finishing to I wanted to finish it before I left for tour, but we didn't quite make it. Um, but I think it'll be done in the first couple weeks of July when we get back. Um, I've been working on it for four years. Oh wow! Yeah, it uh, it's just be I. It's never taken me this long to make an album since my first one. But um, I wanted to really. I I mentioned that I like bought a drum machine and started tracking my own vocals back in the day, and I've kind of always continued producing on the side. I've I met. T producers who were much more talented than I was like Buddy Peace and Alias who made uh, my past four albums and you know there, there's a lot of different producers I've worked with but um, but I've, I've continued to develop my own production stuff and learn from them as I work with them and watch them and stuff and and I'm just kind of now at the point where I can I've been able to to self-produce an album um, so I, I could never do that before and it gave me all this creative control and and now I have a little bit of a name as B Dolan, so like people respond to my emails. <laughs> that's, so that's nice. And so I'm I'm trying to use that juice to like make a make the album I always wanted to make. Like I was listening to Aquemini by Outcast and Stankonia by Outcast when I was living here in New York. Actually, that was that was my shit, and I I loved those albums. And for years, I would show those albums to the people I was working with when I was trying to figure it all out, and. They would, and I would be like, "What is this? Like, how do you get this sound?" And they were like, "That's a live piano, man. You don't. That's not a sample. <laughs> that's just a live piano." And uh, and you know, so I just over time, like, I develop skills. But but now I'm at the point where like I can get a great piano player, and I've got a great engineer who can record that piano player, and I've got enough uh, musical skill to like indicate at least or communicate and and show what I want. So. It's been a really convoluted process that's involved like pre-production in my home studio and then taking it into a bigger studio and like what started as a guitar sample, we bring in a guitarist, we find a tone, we record, you know, we expand on that riff and um, and so I've just been like playing with music and, and pr producing more than ever, um, which has has been a, a whole process of its own but it's been really gratifying and i've been able to work with a whole lot of people like Ka kathleen from circle takes the squares on a song no way and yeah yeah that's so cool and just like just friends like the musical friends who are who are dope who i you know i'm, I'm working on something and, and there's a chorus and i can like i can hear her singing it i just like send it off to them and it comes back and it's great and you know so it's been a really it's maybe been the most creatively fulfilling album i've ever made 
I've had a, a really a lot of fun making it, and I think it sounds great. Um, so at the end of four years, I didn't want to rush it. And, and like, yeah, if I had gotten it, if I had turned it in before we came on this tour, maybe it could have been out this year. But um, I've decided to just like wait. We're, we're gonna we'll get it done in July, and we'll we'll make the videos. We'll make a special. I I'm, I got a DVD. I'm trying to edit, and maybe we can release that with it. We'll make nice packaging. We'll get a world tour booked, and we'll yeah, like, yeah. roll it out big next year in the spring. Um, nice man. So that's, that's the plan. That's so cool. Yeah, man. It's been. It's Are you doing it in Providence? Is that where you've been working on? Yeah, I I live in the like in the woods north of Providence. Oh really? I met a I met a girl from out there and married her. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm like, I got lots of woods around me. Is it nice, kind of being like being on the road and then going home, being yeah, kind of yeah. off the grid a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it's nice because I get I get like the city stuff I need when I'm on tour, and it's it's cool. And then I like go home, and like the only thing around me for miles and miles is like greasy pizza. So like, if I want <laughs> if I want some fish tacos, I just like gotta cook some fish tacos. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it's good. Good man, and yet when you do want civilization, it's yeah, a quick yeah. hop to Boston or yeah. Providence. Yeah, and I'm always like, I'm even when I'm not like doing world tour or whatever the hell, like long tours. I'm I'm do like spot dates and stuff right. continuously to pay my mortgage. So I get to I get to like be in St. Louis or you know be in Austin for a couple days or you know, um, so I, I get out. But when I'm home, I stay home hard. Yeah, yeah, man, I gotta get out there. <laughs> I should go to Providence. My friend used to work at a bar out there. What bar? It's called the Scurvy Dog. I think I've I've heard of it. it I don't is. know if I've ever been in it. Providence. I think he got fired for stabbing someone. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a really scary biker bar, and he was this guy's awesome, but he was like a little not that scary if you got fired for stabbing. Yeah, I guess someone. that's true. Yeah, if you got promoted for stabbing <laughs> yeah. someone, then it's a scary bar. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I forget. That's so awesome. Yeah, all those skin graft bands are so so great. I always forget that it's from Providence. It's so close. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of new. Even uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, has like a really active like noise scene. Really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just like we're buried under snow for about half the year. So we are bitter, sarcastic people with a lot of time to work in the dark and in our basements. And uh, we just come out with this, like, grinding, <laughs> you know, abrasive music. <laughs> That's amazing. Are there any of those elements on the new record at all? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's very, like, bombastic stuff. A lot of, you know. Um, yeah, I don't I don't even know. It's hard, it's hard for me to talk too generally about it because a lot of the songs are still kind of, like, open on the table and, and need a little arrangement or a little a few tweaks here and there. But I feel like it's a really well-rounded record but um but i you know i listen to everything as part of my job like especially that's what i love about hip-hop you know like is that like it forces me to check out like um you know tuvan throat singing records and like you know <laughs> you know um or just obscure stuff or strange stuff or folkways recordings from the smithsonian or you know I, I have an excuse to to be digging in any genre, and it and it's kept me active and learning. That's awesome. And yeah, and you're at the hardest stage of the record now, I think, too, where like you have to finally be like, okay, it's done. I'm not going to touch this anymore. Yeah. Especially yeah, now yeah. with technology, especially when it's like kind of your thing, <laughs> yeah. like it's impossible to ever stop. I have so many tracks named done. Final. Yeah, like I'm in the bad habit of like names on like Rats Get Fat, Final Vocal, <laughs> and then like I've got like ten of them, like Final Vocal One, Final Vocal uh, Two, Final so Vocal Fuck You, like the word like Fuck You starts being part of the final name. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> yeah yeah just you know, burn my hard drives if i die <laughs> no don't look in there it's uh i mean there's it's an old i mean you probably heard it but the old adage is that a record's never done you just run out of money or time yeah yeah like yep it's a pretty famous <laughs> saying but it's totally true yeah yeah i, I mean i like marinating on stuff I, I read a book about Rick Rubin, who's one of, obviously, he's a, probably one of everybody's favorite producers, uh, no matter what genre you mess with. But, like, uh, I think he was, it was Metallica. He was, like, he was tasked with reviving Metallica uh, on one of the, on one of those records. And, like, it's not only the process, his, his listening process not only involves, like, listening for the great songs, but also, like, 
listening for the great performances of those songs. And a lot of times that doesn't happen until you've toured with the song. Because, like, I'm sure you know that, that after you've done enough shows with the song, you, you know, if you recorded it at the end of that process instead of the beginning, right. it would sound a lot better, you know, because you find, like, how it how it fits within you kind of and you get comfortable in its skin or whatever. Um, and so I've gotten to do some of that, like, with this stuff. Like, just do these things live a few times and then go back and do a final vocal take. Yeah, that's um, huge. I mean, even little things that you wouldn't, yeah, you know, tempo and things that... You can fucking like just work on forever in the studio. Like yeah, they become right, really right. apparent. On yeah, stage. and you lose yourself also in the studio. <laughs> like you completely yeah. lose. <laughs> That's probably a whole other thing. But yeah, <laughs> very easily. Yeah, but I'm I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That was B. Dolan. Uh, check out all of his music. Um, if he comes to your town, you have to see him live. He's so awesome. He's with Sage Francis now. They're doing, he's doing, a, I think, a solo thing, but then... Is it just him, or does he have, like, a DJ? This or? tour, I think it's just him, but when we toured with him, he had a full band, and his band, we talk about it a little bit, but uh, the guitar player, Adam, all the dudes in the band are just, like, sick musicians, awesome dudes, and I think he said in the fall or next time he goes out, he's going to go out with a full band again. Isn't that weird? Like, if you're... If you're uh, a hip-hop artist, if you're a rapper, when you have a band, you have to have, like, the most insane players. You do have yeah. to. If you don't have a you know what I mean? drummer, man, yeah. you can forget about it's it. Really, it I, that blows me away, like, with, with, with rap, when they have a full band, because I'm like, I always get excited, because you're like, they're fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it, and it, 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 it's now more than ever. I mean, there's way... I, we see so many hip-hop bands come through here that are full bands, man. It's crazy. I'd say it's more... It's more there's more... Definitely in Brooklyn, too. It you think it's all like the Roots' fault? They started it. Because yeah. they're that fucking good? Yeah. They're a good band. God bless it. That was very cool. Hey, uh, on a personal note, I want to thank Brad and Jonah for doing so many podcasts sans me. Uh, as you guys all know, uh, my father passed away a little while ago, and so I've just been dealing with a lot of personal stuff. Thank you guys very much. I've gotten some lovely uh, condolence messages from fans, and I really appreciate it. And thank you guys for keeping it rocking and or rolling with the podcast. We missed you well, terribly. We, we did. We'll not keep doing it without you. Please. Just warning. I've been listening and it sounds cool. Yeah. I like it. Please don't sell yourself short. It's unbecoming. Um, um, why not visit us online? Please. Why I, not? Go for it. Why not donate? Uh, why not get in touch and be like... Why don't we give out a phone number? Yeah? Yeah. Just like any phone number? Or? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess. We should come up with a phone number. Like we could be like Bill Murray. We could have a one eight hundred number and show up periodically and not be annoying. We should just give out Jonah's phone number. Let's give out my number, dude. I I've seen some people do that. They put out their number and like call wow. me. You know, like on their Twitter or something. Really? I just feel like it. I get too much. I get too much weird stuff where I wouldn't want those people having my number. Mm -hmm. Especially like when I write something for like noisy or something. I get like eight hundred comments being like, "You're a fag." Like I don't need that coming to my phone directly. Yes. No, you don't. And also, I, uh, uh, my wife will, you know, as a talent booker and doing stuff, she doesn't give out her number that much. She, you know, emails. She does that, and I'm like, why not? She's like, I'm not a doctor. Like, <laughs> good point. You know what I mean? Like, like, why would you need me at four in the morning? Yeah. Like, you don't. You know, we're on weekends. You know what I mean? Like, like we've we've done it. Everything's straight. If there's an emergency, please email me. I do check. You know what I mean? Right. But it makes sense. There's nothing that you need yesterday. And if you're working in the entertainment world and people act like that, they're the people that spring for really expensive FedEx packages when they could have just shipped it on time. So they're probably <laughs> dicks. Just want to hurl that out at you. I use Google voice number on my uh, business card so that I can shut it off. That's smart. Yeah. That's smart. I'm a big I don't fan think of I could Google even, voice. How does that work? It just forwards, it'll forward, you get a number from them, from Google Voice, and you have to have a physical phone. Okay. And then you can set it up so that it'll forward to whatever you want it to. So, like, I can have calls, anybody, if you call that number, it'll forward to, like, my cell phone and to this office phone But at the they same don't time. know your actual direct cell phone number? Right. And really? Can, and the cool thing is, is you can shut it off so you can be like, only forward 
to my cell phone between like business hours. Dude, I couldn't even figure out how to set up my going off track email account. So I feel like this may be a little beyond me. It's, yeah, I dude, fucked it's that Google. up too. It's pretty easy. I need your help again. <laughs> it's weird. People, like, people you say it's pretty easy and annoy it, me. It's funny, man, because everyone thinks technology is so like generational. They're like, my parents can't do this thing, but young kids are so good at it. And every time I hang out with Brad, I'm like, I don't understand anything. <laughs> you know how to, everything that you do, you make it sound so easy. I tried to do anything and it's like, like the device explodes or something. Uh, People that say, I just kind of figured out Photoshop. Like, I want to hit you. Like, yeah. That's, I, like, I figured out how to pull the inserts out of the magazine so it opens quicker. Like, that's what I do. Like, I can't, ugh. You know what? It doesn't matter. Be creative. All of that, I get so lost in the tech that I forget to be creative. So don't, don't get don't lost in the tech. It. Let it be a tool. Don't let it make you a tool. Make you a tool. <laughs> Better Thank yet, you, let Steven. somebody else do it. Yes, Mark. Yeah, find your own Brad, though. Find your own. That's it. That's our <laughs> new going off spread. track. Find your own Brad. Those are our t-shirts. This one is pre- spread pretty thin, and we need him more than you do. Yeah. <laughs> and we found him first. <laughs> uh, so thanks for listening. Check out B. Dolan, and stay away from Brad. <laughs> Don't even look at him. 